welcome to Venue Church this morning. We're so glad that you joined us. Pastors Corey and Aaron are away on a much-needed break, so we're so glad they're able to get a bit of a vacation. Today, I want you to help me welcome to the stage someone who's been a pastor to me for many years and a father of the faith here at Venue Church. Please welcome Pastor Richard. Thanks, Chad. So great to be here this morning, and I so appreciate the uh, music ministry that sets everything up for the what we're going to preach and hopefully the cover you know when we're when we're uh, lacking something the music ministry covers it you know I think they've done well this morning enjoyed worshiping God this morning with you we are so glad that our pastors got away to uh, uh, have a little rest and relaxation in fact uh, they are so glad they're not with you today just just so you know uh, they're probably goofing off in the swimming pool, splashing with the girls and having a lot of fun. But uh, just when they come back, let them know we had more fun than they did. Okay? Just to set things straight. I was uh, hoping I was going to be preaching last Sunday because uh, last Sunday was the first day we were without masks. And um, I was trying to make a point with Pastor that uh, it's, we, the masks came down because I was on and uh, then also to rag on him a little bit to let him know that if he'll put me on a couple of months earlier, the mask would have come down a couple of months earlier. Okay, so remind him of that. Today I'm going to share with you, um, I love preaching, you know. I was going to share with you a message that I've called Dead Man Walking, which is literally true. That's what Jesus did, and that's what the church does today. They cause people who are crippled, paralyzed, they cause, cause them to walk again. Even people who are dead cause them to walk again. And I'm going to share, if you stay till the end of the message, I'm going to share uh, at the end of the message about a real life situation where this actually happened with us. With me personally, with my wife, and with our church. And so uh, stay till the end. Don't leave, out, don't leave early for coffee. You're going to miss out on the good stuff. Pastor asked me to share a couple of thoughts on two, two uh, issues, rest and apathy. We need rest in our lives. And uh, we need to get rid of apathy in our lives. Because in many cases, we are kind of apathetic in this uh, have everything society. We can become very apathetic about things that have eternal value. And uh, we need to change that. We need to, we need to be passionate about things of eternal value. And so my message is not going to be so much about rest and apathy uh, uh, rather than trust and passion. Those are the two things I want to focus on. I want to read out of, I'm going to teach a little bit first out of the scriptures. Read a little bit from Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. A passage that, um, it, it just so, it, it blessed me as I read this. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. You know, God worked hard for six days. Can you imagine everything that was in the earth when, at creation, he created six days. And the seventh day, and he, he, this, he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Sanctified just means he set it apart for special use. And that's what God has called the Sabbath. The, the day that's sanctified for special use. Because in it, God himself, the all-powerful, almighty, never running out of energy or power, he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And if it's important for God to rest on the seventh day, I think... When he tells us to rest on the seventh day, we have to sort of follow his lead. Yeah. Because there's something significant about the seventh day, about the day of rest. Rest 
defined means to cease to labor, stop doing something, relaxation. Sometimes we get so engrossed in what we're called to do in the business world or wherever we're making our living, we can't stop on the seventh day. In fact, our minds are so full of the six days that we can't stop on the seventh day. We've got to stop that. Because on the seventh day, we are called to appreciate what God did with us and for us on the six days. We need to take time to stop for restoration, for renewal, for peace and quiet. That's what God did. He stopped and he got renewed. Can you imagine God having to be renewed? That's who he is. He works hard, then he gets renewed. Rest is defined trust. No trust means no rest. So we have to have trust. Trust. We trust on the seventh day that he'll give us time to reflect on the sixth. That's trust. That's rest. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19, there's an interesting passage. It says, so we see that they were not allowed to enter and have God's rest because they did not believe. This is what happened. God del powerfully delivers his people out of Egypt into the, into the uh, wilderness where they're supposed to trek across into the promised land in 11 days and took them 40 years. And the Bible says God was angry with them because they would not stop to reflect on his goodness and what he had already done for them and trust in the promise he gave them to go into the promised land. So they murmured, they complained, they didn't like their leaders, they didn't like the food, they didn't blah, 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 blah. It was just on and on and on. They were dissatisfied. He tells them, I'll feed you manna. One menu. You don't, don't need to read the menu. One menu every day for 40 years. And so they got the manna. And he said, pick it up six days. Seven, six day, you'll get twice as much. And the seventh day, you'll have enough. But some of them went out on the seventh day and they thought, well, we'll just gather a little more for ourselves. That's what we're like today in our culture. We've got to gather a little bit more. Because what we got in six days isn't quite enough. God didn't provide for us quite enough. We've got to stop that. Because God wants us to reflect on how his greatness, his power, um, the awesome things he wants to do, the people he wants us to reach, and for us to be restored. Restored to him and restored to each other. So a whole generation of God's people died in the wilderness. Because they would not trust his word, his promise, or his leader. We've got to rest in it. When God sends us a leader, rest in it. When God sends us a promise, rest in it. Well, God sends us his word. By the way, you can open your Bible and find it sometime. Okay, some good stuff in there. Trust it. Rest in it. Because it will change your life. A whole generation died in the wilderness. And the next generation got the promise. I'm not waiting for the next generation to get my promise. I want my promise myself. So I'm going to learn how to rest in God. The second word I want to talk about is apathy. Okay, first we talked about rest and trust. Apathy means indifference, lack of interest, or emotion. It leads to laziness, which, which leads to hunger and poverty or unfruitfulness. Okay. La apathy is basically it's carelessness. It can be selfishness, carelessness, indifference, lack of emotion. Apathy says, oh, there's no problem, so don't bother getting out of bed. Just stay there for a while. That's apathy. Apathy has no vision and no passion and no ambition and no energy. Remember those four words. No vision, no passion, no ambition, no energy. That's apathy. You sort of just want to sleep all day long. We've got to get up and get to work. The Bible is a vision book. So if we dare dust it off someday and look in it, you'll get a vision. God's word always gives vision. You can count on it. 
Because God wants us to go with the vision he gives us, live for him, till he comes to get us home. Godly vision produces passion and ambition. You know why sometimes you don't feel like working? Because you haven't dusted it off. And look at the pages. Get some vision. That's, what, that's why we, we don't have, in fact, we don't have any hunger for God. God, his, the Bible is a vision book. God produces passion and vision and ambition. He's the one that gives us energy. I call that godly ambition. So God produces faith and trust so we can obey him to fulfill his vision that he gives us. Pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, that's all in the Bible, by the way. If you got one, read it. Here's something about apathy. Apathy has no hunger for God. A lack of hunger for God. We are to, in the passion that God gives us, we are to run to the first sound of the trumpet. When I'm out in the hall and I hear these musicians start to wind up here, I come running because the call of God is on my spirit to come and join what's happening. That's the first call of the trumpet. Apathy arise for duty after the second trumpet calls and the soldiers are already marching. That's what apathy does. Apathy, when, when the trumpet calls and, and God is inviting us in here to join with what he's doing in the spirit, apathy has to go get a coffee. And double apathy has to put in some sugar and some cream too. And then triple apathy has to chat with your friend who you haven't seen for 10 minutes. You have to chat with him. That's what apathy does. But when we have God's passion in us, there's something about it drives us to where God is moving, where the spirit is moving. That's the call on our lives. We are, you know, we're just ordinary people, but God loves ordinary people. You look at all the people he chose in the Bible. Most of them were just farmers, you know. That's why I'm so glad I've, I've got that heritage, you know, farming heritage. God calls me, you know. Abraham was a farmer. Noah was a farmer. All these important people were farmers. So I consider myself to be called of God. So let's look at passion and trust. Let's do it. Today we're going to consider Noah. Let me give you an opening statement out of Genesis chapter 6. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of the man was great in the earth. Men of all mankind was great in the earth. And every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Listen to the judgment on man who God has created in his own image. Their thoughts were wicked. They only, only thought about was evil. It was just all about the flesh and themselves and selfishness and what they wanted to do. There no, none of God's thoughts were in their mind. That's the evil that God saw in the world. In fact, it was so evil, God said, I'm sorry I made man. I've got, to deal, I've got to deal with this issue. So we found another ordinary man, a farmer. He saw Noah. And so what he did with Noah, he called him and he passed his vision to Noah. Then he, with that vision came ambition so that Noah could fulfill the vision. He passed it down. Noah had to supply the ambition. So you and I are required when God gives us a vision to supply the ambition so that something can happen with the vision. Otherwise, the vision will just blow away. God wants us to do something with a vision he gives us. Anybody who's given a visionary in the church should have a, a, an ambition uh, to, to exercise their passion to satisfy God. Satisfy God's will. So God saw Noah. And he had to supply the ambition, the obedience, and the persistence. Can you imagine God giving him a call? And he's got to work on this dumb boat for 100 years. 
Heck, I just go to the lake and like if Eric's there, I just jump on his boat and go. I don't have, I'm not building a boat for a hundred years. What kind of a kook would build a boat for a hundred years? In fact, it wasn't even called a boat. God said, build me an ark. An ark literally translated means box. That's all it means. Build a box. In other words, yep, you've got to have corners, you've got to have sides, top. You've got to build me a box. I want to tell you the story about Noah. Because God gave Noah a vision to save mankind. I don't know if the animals were ever in God's original plan intended to get on the boat. I think God wanted to build a boat that he could fill with people. Because God is into saving people. But only eight people made it. So God says to Noah one day, like he's told us now, we're supposed to build him a box. Scott is in charge of building a box just across the fence there. We're building a box. We're gonna, that's going to be the salvation that, that for people that God is giving us the opportunity to serve him in that vision. Okay, So we're building there like Noah built in that time, except the things are a little different. Things are speeded up a little. So so we, we start working together. Pastor gets a vision. Scott works with him. And all the other people that are trades people are working with him. And all the servants are going to be out there working. And so what God does, he, he gives us a vision for, um, uh, for, for building this box. And, and he gets about 100 people together or so. A whole bunch of people. You know, we got the city. we got engineers. we got, we got uh, uh, all kinds of trades people. And we're going to have a, at least 100 people involved in this, aren't we? Yeah. I think about 100 people. So... We're going to build this thing, 100 people, and 100 days will be done. That's quick, isn't it? So instead of, you know, if Scott would be a little older, like Noah, he was 500 years old, and finally he, had, he got some maturity and God could talk to him. And God says to Noah, build me a box, but um, you do it yourself, but it'll take you 100 years. One man, 100 years, compared to 100 people in 10, 100 days. Quite a difference, eh? What, a assign, what an assignment. And he took an ordinary man and gave him a great assignment. That's what God will do with you. If you have the passion and if you take the rest that you need to have to appreciate what God has done and what he is doing in your life. And, and, if, and if you'll get the passion from him and lay down your apathy, God can use you in a very powerful way. Part of this story is going to be my own story. Dead man walking. Because we literally saw it happen. We literally lived it. But God takes this man, Noah. Have you ever thought of about the dynamics of what this took for Noah to build this ark, this box? Let me give you a little history on Noah. Adam, when Adam was created, he lived 930 years. In about, after about 130 years, he had his third son called Seth. And, when, and Seth lived about nine, over 900 years. About the time that Seth died, uh, Noah was born. So in my mind, I figured it out like this. Thousand years for Noah, I mean for Adam. And then Noah comes along on the scene and he lives for over 900 years. Thousand years for Noah. But God had said to Noah, he said, my, my spirit will not strive with man forever. He was sick and tired of it. Year after year after year, all these hundreds and hundreds of years. People were mocking God. They were ignoring God. They were apathetic about God. They were evil continually. And, and finally God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. I'm going to limit his days to 120 20 years. So that, that can be your life expectancy, 120 years. That's what God established. But from the time God spoke that to Noah in his 500th year, 500th year of his life, till it actually happened, 
was another 800 years. So God is very patient in enacting that which he promises. So we got to stick with it, be persistent, keep our passion up, not give in to apathy, because whatever God says, it will happen. It will, in our lives, it will happen. So here he gives Noah this mandate to build this boat, this box. Do you know how big that box was? He, Scott has all, all kinds of things at his disposal for building the box over here, building the church. I mean, he's, he was talking the other day about a scissor lift. And uh, I don't know why Noah, Noah didn't ask God for a scissor lift because his boat, his box was twice as high as this ceiling. And he had nothing, no machinery. He just called up Home Depot and he said, oh, send me 15 semi-trailer loads of lumber. That'll give me a start. Then he calls Lowe's up and he says, send me 15 semi-trailer loads of lumber so my sons and their wives can build this boat. So I can build the boat. Can you imagine? Scott just gets on the phone. He says, we need this material or he has contacts every place and on the people he knows. And, and they, they know everybody and they can say, give me this, give me this, give me this. Everything's at our disposal. He says to Noah, uh, just go get some gopher wood. You know what gopher wood is? <laughs> gopher, you know there are a lot of gophers in Saskatchewan. You must have to go to Saskatchewan to get some gopher wood to come and build a box. <laughs> I didn't, can you imagine? Uh, he probably would have got out his chainsaw and cut a bunch of trees. <laughs> Noah. Yeah. How does he know what to build? I know Scott's been over to see some engineers and he's got some blueprints. He told me he did. I haven't seen him yet with my eyes, but he said he's got some blueprints. And can you imagine Noah say, God, send me the blueprint. Well, uh, we haven't, we haven't um, created paper yet. So I don't know how I'm going to get this to you. See, Noah had to walk with God every day to get the blueprint for that day's work. And he had to be persistent every single day to do that day's work. Can you imagine year after year after year, people mocking him, people saying, what are you doing, man? You can live in that thing or what's, what are you doing? We don't know what rain, they didn't even know what rain was. God said he'd send a flood on the earth. They didn't know what that was. So he's building this big box on dry land because God said so. And he gave him a vision and he gave him passion and Noah supplied the obedience. So he goes and starts to collect wood. Can you imagine building on this thing for a hundred years? He didn't know that. He only knew what was coming the day before, the next day. God said build, so he started building. Every day he got up and started going to, going to work. And he got his wife up and she started going to work. He got his kids up and they started going to work too. Because that was the vision. That ark was so huge. It was as wide as this building is. That's how wide the ark was. And it was nine times as long as this room is. And it was nearly twice as high as the ceiling. And God says, build this ark and put three floors. So you'd have the ground floor, then you have two other levels. Scott was very concerned about building a mezzanine. One bay made out of metal, stairway going up. And God tells Noah to build this ark with three floors and make sure the stairs are strong enough to hold an elephant because they want to go from up and down. Right? So make that ark strong. They, you don't want to see them fall through the floor. So, you know, you need to know how to build. Can you imagine Noah 
putting up something that's twice as high as this with no crane, no ladders. Well, they, maybe they have to make ladders. I don't know. And um, he'd probably have to make scaffolds. You know, we, we've spent some time in Africa and Kenya, Uganda, and Ethiopia. We've seen how they build some uh, three, four-story buildings. They make these scaffolds on the outside of the building with poles about two inches in diameter. And they go up about three stories. They're very strong. And people are climbing up there all the time, working from them, and hauling concrete up there. No cranes. Can you imagine Noah building that high up? So he probably sent his wife up there. Because by the time he was this age, he's probably scared. He's 500 years old, getting up on a scaffold 45 feet high. So he says, make it three levels, full floor on each level, put a roof in it, one door, only one door, and only one window. Uh, can you imagine calling Lowe's and say, I'm building this big building, I need one window, sir. <laughs> one window, and they had no glass at that time. And so this is this is an uh, amazing feat that he gave Noah to do. And then, uh, how did the, how did animals ever find the place? How how did animals ever get in there? How did they come? Did he sound a horn? What made them? Because God started to deal with the animals in preparation in, the, in those last years for so so they could inhabit the ark. And so God cared about even cared about the animals. But uh, all this time, can you imagine the mocking? And the challenges and the resistance and everybody, uh, you know, nobody giving him any agreement, nobody giving him any help. In fact, in my, in, in my documentation that I got from the Bible, I see that uh, uh, Methuselah, who's Noah's grandfather, and Lamech, who is his father, both died about the year of the flood. So in other words, his grandfather and father were watching Noah build his ark and they never got involved. Can you imagine that? Because they never got the vision and they had no passion. So this is an incredible story to me. So God said, man shall not live, he, he shall only live 120 years. So about 850 years, it started about in the life of Joseph where man's, uh, man, the, the man's days were limited to that. Joseph died at 110 years old. Everybody, the fathers before that died at a real old age. But it started to diminish. Anyway, this is the story of Noah's Ark. Can you imagine his wife standing at the, when the animals are coming in two by two? And she said, uh, what kind of a room you want, private or semi-private? And handing out tickets, you know, because they had to build rooms in the ark. You know how long they were in that ark? We're going we're gonna to do this building here in about 100 days from when, when we start construction. They lived in that ark for 100, they lived for um, uh, one year. They were in that ark. Can you imagine handing your oldest son the pooper scooper and say, take care of the elephants? <laughs> and if the elephants happened to be on the lower floor, you'd have to carry it up two floors to get it out the window. Yeah. What a job. I don't know what God did. I don't know if he put all the animals to sleep. They had some food because he told them to bring some food. So they had some food. And so maybe, maybe they got a little munchy once a month or something. And uh, then he put them to sleep and they hibernated like bears hibernate. So why couldn't God do that? I don't know. But I'm going to have an awesome conversation with Noah when I get there one day face to face. I'm going to talk this over with him. And I'm going to ask him why he didn't give Scott the same kind of a vision. Because <laughs> I don't know if Scott's going to last 500 years. But God did. See, I want to show you the magnitude of God. How God wants to preserve life. That's what he's into. That's why he sent Jesus for us. 
to preserve life. And I'm going to tell you about a story in my life that I called Dead Man Walking. That shows you how God, how awesome he is, how he's still working with us, how he's still choosing ordinary people like me and you. On, on the fourth day of July, 2010, we had some missionaries in our house that I'd worked with in Haiti for a number of years. Pastor Corey was there with me uh, one time and in, in, in uh, dealing with Rehoboth Ministries from Cap Haitian in Haiti. And um, this was, uh, I remember the year after the, uh, the earthquake, we went there and uh, God had given my wife a prophecy the year before that uh, God was going to preserve the people there, and he did, because uh, the earthquake happened the other end of the island. And uh, so we, we had been there a number of times, and I preached with Pastor Pritchard Adams, and uh, he and his wife, Dana Adams, were in our house. We invited them up to Canada, and they were in our house. And I think this is a divine invitation from God that they would come to our house and while they were at our house, he was going to preach on the 4th of July in our church. And, and we were at the, everybody's at the church. We were all getting prepared like we do here ahead of time. And, and he didn't come. He didn't come. So finally I went home. And I find him in a bathroom floor in the basement in, in, of, of their suite there. And, and uh, he was uh, lying, uh, passed out on the bathroom floor. And I picked him up and put him in a bed. I didn't know what had happened. We called the paramedics, and finally we got him uh, air-vacked into Calgary at the Foothills Hospital. And um, we had to drive in because we couldn't get into the helicopter. And uh, he got pretty aggressive, too. And um, they had to chain him down, tie him down, get him into the hospital. And they met us at the hospital when we got there with the car. And uh, they were very serious. And uh, the, the, what we saw on their faces that there's no hope. That's what we, we found out that day that he had had a massive brain aneurysm. That's what happens when your vessel breaks and you floods your whole brain with blood and you can't function anymore. And he had a massive brain aneurysm. And that began a 52-day journey for me from Didsbury to the Foothills Hospital in Calgary. Every single day I went to the hospital with, with his wife, Dana. Sometimes Beth had come, sometimes Pastor Corey had come. And we began to build a wall of life around him. I remember in the, in the, acute, in the uh, intensive care unit, his wife, Dana, would come in there. And we, I mean, we came in there just hunting for bear. She'd come in there and she says, here lies the love of my life. And he was totally passed out with the tubes in and out. And, and you didn't even recognize him. And she said, this is the love of my life. And I rebuke the spirit of death. And we were, and the doctors and nurses, oh, ooh. He said, whoa, what's going on here? But we fought for his life there. As he spent a couple of weeks, three or four weeks in that intensive care unit, finally got out of that unit. But before he got out, one day the head neurologist in, in Calgary, um, a man who's, you know, uh, he invented a neural arm to uh, operate on the brain, I think, with a mechanical thing. And he uh, came to us uh, uh, one day, a very uh, grave countenance, and he called us to the room, you know, the room where they take you when the news is only bad. And he comes into the new room, and he's got five or six of these students behind him because they're teaching them how to deal with people, you know, when you've got to give them the bad news. And so they come in there, and, and he walks in there. And that morning, the Lord had given me a passage of Scripture, and we just kept, kept bringing this back to God. All is well. All is well. Remember, like the widow whose son died, she went to Elijah, 
And she said, all is well. And she got her son restored. That's the scripture I got that morning. All is well. That's the promise of God for me. And so we, we were sitting in this room. And the head neurologist comes in. And, and he says, he's come back again. Okay, and we actually found out later that he had actually died twice. He had had another brain aneurysm. And he had had a heart attack. And he had died twice. And as we spread the news of this to our Close friends in Africa, they called us up and they said, we have called him back again. We've called him back again. And that's what we were praying. Life, 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 because God is life and he's powerful. There's no other name like the name of Jesus. And that's what we were declaring over him day after day after day. Well, finally got out of that unit after we got the other miracle. In fact, the doctor said, uh, we got a miracle this time. And they don't often use those terms. We've got another miracle. And so he got out of that unit, went into the, uh, some other unit. And where he was, he didn't remember anything because he was out cold. He never, o never opened his eyes this whole time, like for over a month. Never opened his eyes. Got into another unit. And there God sent me every day to read to him. To read the Bible. To read Isaiah. To read the prophesy, uh, prophet Isaiah and prophesy over him day after day after day. Some days, you know, I felt so apathetic. I didn't want to get out of bed. I was so tired. But I got up and with a passion and the, and the energy that God gave me, I went again and again and again every day, all day. So, and then one day God says to me, well, um, you need to, what you need to do is uh, take your oil with you and anoint his feet with oil and bless his feet. Bless it on, on the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news. I prayed that over him day after day and the, the staff come around and they say, what is he doing? You know, they didn't understand any of this. So we prayed and we prayed. One day, uh, um, one of the uh, head doctors came in and said, uh, I want to take you into a room over here and show you what has really happened. He began to show us on the screen what had happened to his brain. And he said, the very best that can ever happen to Pritchard at this time, the very best is that he would, he would live, but he would be a vegetable the rest of his life. That's the best we have. We said, no, we're not, we're not taking that. He said to Pritchard's wife, Dana, he said, you know, you should really just pull the plug and let him go. We said, no, we don't pull the plug. That's why we're here. We're building a wall around a man because a man has value to God. And he has called us to stand for him and build a wall. To build the vessel. That's what he called Noah to do. That's what he's calling us to do over here. To build a structure for the salvation of his people. Yeah. And one man, is, one man is as important as a hundred or a thousand. One man is important to God. So we said, no, we're building a wall. And so we wouldn't let him unplug. And after many days, day after day, after many days, one day, he sat up in bed, opened his eyes, and he told a joke in French. Because <laughs> they speak Creole and in, uh, in Haiti and, and we realized that day because I had preached with him so many times in Haiti that he recognized my voice I was a father to him just like the father is a father to Noah a father is a father to me I became a father to him also and he recognized my voice and he woke up out of that stupor and uh, all the medical staff were absolutely amazed they said we didn't think he'd ever come out of that 
And so he came out of that. And oh, we fought for his life after that. We would sit, go to the children's hospital and sit on the bench and we'd say, God, you have made promises and we're taking those promises for us and for him. We're not letting go of the promises. because We're not going to pathet apathetically, pathetically let him go. We fought for him. That's why I have a story called Dead Man Walking. He's a man who died at least twice, but he came back. And he told me later, as we visited with him in Jacksonville, Florida, after we got him back to our house and we sent him back to Jacksonville, Florida, where, where they had a home. And, and in Jacksonville, Florida, he says, I want to tell you what happened to me while I was out. He said, the Lord took me to a valley. And he said, I was there with the Lord and, and uh, he showed me what was happening in the valley. People were going this way and people were going this way. Some were going to hell and some were going to heaven. And everybody, nobody had any expression. Everybody was sober. Everybody was justified in where they were going because of the choices they made in life. Some were apathetic. They were going the wrong way. Some had passion. They served God. They were going the right way. He said, that's what he, that's where the Lord took him into the valley of death and showed him what happens to people when they leave this earth. He was gone twice. And so he began to tell us some of these stories about what had happened to him. I am so grateful at that time that I had a church to support me. People would bring us meals because we went we, nearly two months every day. We went to the hospital and spent every day in the hospital. That, that was a, what you would call a wasted summer if you like boating and fishing. <laughs> a wasted summer. But I can say it's one of the most impacting, powerful uh, years of my life. That, that's why... And um, July 4th is such a significant day to, uh, for me. We need to learn to trust God. Uh, his wife wrote a book called Into the Storm. In fact, I think somebody here may have my book, Into the Storm, which I'll uh, get back someday. But she wrote a, a good account of what happened so that people would be encouraged not to give up, but not to be apathetic, but to be passionate about the things of God. You'll find those things right in the Bible, the, the, the vision from God. Just about that time, uh, about the time he got out of the hospital, came to our home, um, the Lord led me to a passage of scripture. And it's found in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. Nehemiah was called to build a wall around Jerusalem for God's people to protect them and to establish them in their city. A wall, to build a wall. God called us to build a wall that summer. And it, it says this in Nehemiah chapter 6, it says, so the wall was finished, they had passion. They weren't apathetic. They got up every day. They built, they built, they built. They built a wall around Jerusalem. And they finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. That is the month of August in today's calendar. 25th month of August in 52 days. That's exactly how long he was in the hospital. Richard Adams was in the hospital. We fought for him and built the wall. In exactly 52 days, he came out. And he came to our church. And he showed himself to our people. And he got restored and he went back to his home in Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida. And after about a year, a man who was dead and who the doctor said, pull the plug, he was restored. He went back into Haiti and he was preaching the gospel, carrying on his ministry in Haiti. Turned it over to his son and it's still going on because dead men still walk. If God can find somebody who's living, who has the passion to fight for them and to build the wall. You're that kind of a person. Look in the mirror tomorrow morning and say, I'm that kind of a person. We can make dead men walk. 
We can preserve life because that's what God has sent Noah for. That's what he, that is what he sent us for. You're one of the called ones. So let's pray. Let's ask God to, to just give us a passion for that, to give us a vision and a passion for that. Father, I want to thank you today for an awesome place where we can gather in this church, in Venue Church, so that we can get a vision from you and that you will give us energy and, and, and faith and we will have the ambition of obedience to fulfill the vision that you give us, Lord. We want to bless your name today and give glory to you for what you've done all the way from Noah, all through the generations, and even in this generation where we live right now. You still do the most amazing, impossible things because you are still God. And we give you the glory for that, Lord. We thank you for choosing us to be partners with you in this work that you've called us to. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.